when we were looking at uh, Colossians 1, and that section from verse 21 to 23, I said it was as though Paul had been speaking up here, and then he sort of moved to speaking down there. Do you remember I said that? You know, Paul had been speaking about the sort of majestic, grand work that Christ had completed in reconciliation. Then, in the next section of scripture, he sort of moved down and talked about how that grand work of reconciliation actually affected the Colossian believers. Do you remember that sort of movement? Well, that's kind of similar to what we've got tonight. Because last week, if you were here, you'll remember that, that Paul has been painting in sort of big, broad brushstrokes. He's been talking about his ministry. Do you remember that? His suffering in the ministry and the, what was it, the message in the ministry, the discipleship in the ministry. Well, tonight, in these verses, he moves from that to down here, to talking about how his ministry affects real people, how his ministry has affected those people in Colossae. And, do you know what? As he does that, what happens is that Paul paints a picture of what a mature Christian looks like. Do you see what I mean by that? He talks, in this portion of scripture that we've read, that Paul's read, that we're going to look at tonight, Paul talks about his hopes for Christian believers. And then he sort of goes on and talks about his concern for Christian believers. Then he goes on to talk about what really sort of delights him in Christian believers. And do you know what happens? So he talks about all these things. What emerges is a really, it's a really beautiful picture of maturity. That's what we're looking at tonight. It's a, a picture of what a, a vibrant, healthy, spiritual, mature Christian life looks like. It's about maturity. Um, so what we're going to do this evening is look at that, look, think about Paul's ministry in the Colossians, and we're going to ask ourselves, this is the question, I think this is the sermon title you've got in your notice sheet. This is certainly the, the question that we're going to consider. Are we where we should be as Christians? You know, if we're talking about spiritual maturity, or when we're talking about growing in grace, advancing in our understanding, are we, are you, are we where we should be as Christians. That's what we're talking about. So, please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, 1 to 5. Let's think firstly, a first heading, let's think about Paul's hopes for the Colossian believers. Okay, his hopes, Paul's hopes for the Colossian believers. Now, if we're going to understand this, we've got to remember that Paul has never before met these Colossian believers. Never met them. But despite that, we see here that Paul is very, very keen when he's writing this to show that, well, I haven't met you, but I do care for you, and I care for you deeply. You see that? Look at verse 1. He tells him not that he's just been suffering generally in ministry. In verse 1, he says, no, 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 I've been struggling for you. And it's the sort of idea that, that, okay, I've not met you, but I'm really contending for you. 
you know, I've not met you, but I, I am really wrestling for you guys in prayer. Not just then. You'll see it in verse 1. He also mentions other churches. The church in Laodicea as well. Okay. Now, what he does in verse 2 is what we need to think about just now. In verse 2, Paul mentions four, what we call characteristics maybe? Four traits that he is hoping emerge in the lives of these Colossian believers. Now, here's the deal, right? One verse, Paul mentions four things. So, you know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna hit this in one heading, we can only really just mention these things. These four traits. But here's what we need to do. Now follow me in this. You know what, a, you know what a, everyone knows what a barometer is. Everyone knows what a gauge is, at least. Let's use this as a gauge of our spiritual tonight. Now think about it. Paul is saying he, these are things he is hoping to see. Four things he is hoping to see in the lives of Christian believers. Right? Let's, let, let's use this. Let's think about these things. Do you possess these things? In fact, more than that, are you advancing in these things? Are you growing in these things, he says here? So that's, that's how we'll approach it. So you're ready for them. Ready? First thing. Paul hopes these Colossians are growing in strength. Have a look at the text. Just look at it. Start at verse 2. Remember, all these things are in verse 2. He says he's, he hopes that they will be encouraged in heart. That's what he says. Now, the idea is much more about being sort of strengthened, you know? The idea here is he hopes these guys are being built up. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that Paul is hoping that the, the, these people are going to the local gym in Colossae or that they've started a program of steroids or anything like that. Obviously not that. No, look what he says. He, he hopes that they are encouraged in heart. Now we know what scripture means when it talks of the heart. See, this idea here is of inward, extensive spiritual growth. Do you see it? You see what Paul hopes for these people? He hopes that they are being built up, that they are being strengthened in the Lord. Why? So that they will be able to repel the false teachers that we've seen in Colossae. And come on, right off the bat, isn't that a challenge? We're thinking about growing in strength as believers. Is that true of you? Is it true of any of us? And this is a great month for looking back, isn't it, in December? As you look back in, in 2014, are you able to say, yes, I have bulked up. I have, in 2014, grown in strength in the Lord. You see that? Second thing that Paul hopes for, he hopes that the Colossians are growing. Yes, growing in strength. Second one, growing together. Again, Eyes down at verse 2. Look at the next part of it. He says, he's hoping that they are encouraged in heart and united in love. United in love. Now, you know what sort of theological scholars are like? They like to bicker 
with each other. And an awful lot of sort of scholarly comment about what Paul means there when he says, I hope that you are united in love. But what he seems to desire there from these Colossians is that they are knitted together in love. You know, if we had a a joiner um, in the congregation, sometimes I'm sure the deacon's court wish we did have a joiner in the congregation, but if we had a joiner, a carpenter, could get them up to the front here just now and they could show us a sort of a dovetail joint. Yeah? Something that sits absolutely perfectly together. That's what Paul's talking about. He's, he's hoping that, 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 that the congregation in Colossae are perfectly united. Why? Come on, false teachers. So that they can have a united front and, and, and repel them. Now here's the deal. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as mature Christian believers, don't we? In some contexts, we, we kind of like to think of ourselves maybe as sort of having grown in grace and we're the mature Christians. I want to say to you, if that is true of you tonight, then what Paul is talking about there, this idea of being united together in love, that will be dear to you. In fact, a command, one of the commands that will be closest to your heart as a Christian, if you are a mature Christian, is that command that Jesus gave just before he announced his departure. Remember what he said to the disciples? He said, a new command I give you. Love, love one another, just as I have loved you. That will be absolutely dear to you if you are a mature Christian. In fact, if you are a mature Christian, you know what you'll be able to do? You'll be able to look around the congregation tonight. You'll be able to look at, think about the congregation this morning. You will think about the odd people. And you will think about the awkward people. And you will think about the people that you have very little in common with. And you will think about the annoying people. And if you're a, a mature Christian, do you know what? You will be overflowing in love for those people. You will. You'll be able to think about those people just now and think, yeah, I was praying for them this week. I was down on my knees praying for them this week. You will look at them, you will think about them, and you will think, we are knitted together in love by Christ. So growing in, growing together, growing in strength, growing together, third one that he hopes for here, he hopes the Colossians are growing in understanding. So look how verse 2 goes on. He hopes that they are encouraged in heart, united in love. Look how it goes on there. That they may have the full riches of complete understanding. The full riches of complete... He, he wants them, he hopes, he longs for them to have understanding. We don't have to elaborate on that. It's fairly self-explanatory. It's the hope that these Colossians will develop and advance in their conviction about the gospel. That they will advance in their knowledge and insight into God's great plan of redemption. That's what he's saying. And then we see the fourth hope. And Paul does here what my little daughter does 
on a Sunday lunchtime. That's what Paul does. Because my little daughter, the middle one, will always eat her tatties, her potatoes. Uh, she will then eat her vegetables and she will leave the chicken or the lamb. She will leave the best till last. She always does it. That's what Paul does here. Because his fourth hope is that the Colossians, do you see it? He hopes that they are growing in Christ Jesus. Look how he ends verse 2. Like, what he's doing is he's specifying the type of knowledge. He's talked about understanding. He hopes that they're understanding. But what he says here, he shows the type of knowledge he desires for them. He hopes that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Do you see what that is? Do you see what it is? Do you see what he's longing for? He doesn't just want these people to grow in knowledge of Christ. He doesn't just want them to grow in knowledge about the gospel. This is personal knowledge. That's what he desires for these people. It's that they, it's that we would grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That there would be a sort of ever-deepening affinity with the, 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 the King of Kings. Now, here's what I want to ask you. As you see there, in verse 2, what Paul hopes for the lives of those Colossian believers. So you think about those four things. You know, where are you with, with, with that? How do you react? What do you think about those things? You know, growing you know, in strength and growing together as Christians. Doesn't it genuinely challenge you to the pit of your soul? Doesn't it? You know, doesn't it give us the idea of that Christian unity or that, that personal advancing in our personal knowledge of Jesus Christ? Um, doesn't it give us much food for thought tonight, at least, as Christians? As we look back in 2014, maybe does it not give us much food for repentance as well? And certainly much food, much thought for prayer. In fact, it might even be much more fundamental than that. Because you might be here tonight and you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I do know a lot about Jesus. And I do know an, an awful lot about the Bible. But what he's hoping for, for the Colossians, that personal relationship, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in my heart. Is that where you are? Well, I hope you see that if you bow to Christ, that can change. And not in a couple of months or in the new year. That personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that, can, that, can, that can come. And it can, it, can, it can come tonight. So we see Paul's hopes for the Colossians. Okay, Next thing that we need to think about, we see his hopes for the Colossians. Now we're thinking about Christian maturity. We see also Paul's concern for the Colossian believers here. Now, if you have been at a church in the evening services over the last, what is it, six weeks, couple of months, 
as we've looked at Colossians, um, you will know that in the background in Colossians 1 has been a lot of talk about false teachers in that town. Now, the thing there is that it has been in the background. Like, Paul hasn't talked very directly about false teaching at all. He's used words like fullness. And they seem, he's, he seems to be making a point about or against the false teachers. But all that talk about the false teachers has been in the shadows. It's been in the background. Now, what happens here in chapter 2 in these verses is that Paul becomes much more blunt. He becomes much, much more direct. Look at verse 4, please. Verse 4. Now think about the false teachers. Look what he says. Much more direct. I tell you this, all of this that I've said, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Do you see what, see what the concern is? He's concerned that, that the false teachers are going to have an effect, a proper effect on these Colossians. Now, I guess we should see what it is that he's scared might happen. Do you see what it is that he's scared might happen? That these false teachers may deceive or delude people. More than that, and this is what I want us to think about here, we should pay attention to how it is that those false teachers might take people away. I think I've mentioned from the pulpit in the past the name Joel Austin. Joel Austin. You heard of him? A few nods of the head. Uh, Joel Austin is a, a, a big American preacher. I don't mean big. I mean he's famous. He's a famous prosperity gospel preacher. So he is a guy with a message that is contrary to the biblical message of salvation by grace, faith in Christ. Contrary to that. Now, this guy, I mean, he is massive in the States. Like his, he, he is the pastor of what claims to be the biggest Protestant church in the whole of the United States. That's a claim and a half. And I was reading about him this week. And because of live feeds, this man has a worldwide weekly ministry that reaches, how many people do you think I'm going to say here? 20 million people. 20 million people. And the thing this guy's renowned for, probably above anything else, is his slickness. This guy is as smooth as they come. Everything about this guy is polished, you know? Like the mood lighting that accompanies his walk onto the arena stage. It's all perfect. You know, and the music that plays is absolutely pinpoint. The, the dude's hair, you know, it's radiant. And his teeth and everything about this guy is just flawless. And that slickness, that is being used by the devil to deceive people into hell. And that 
is what Paul is concerned with here in Colossians chapter 2. You see, what happens is that the, the commentators on this portion of Scripture, they tell us that the false teachers that were in Colossae at the time, that those guys were slick. You know, the false teachers, that, that, that they were very persuasive, that they knew how to, to argue with the, the best of them, that though they were speaking absolute nonsense, that they were winning a lot of people by what Paul calls here their fine-sounding arguments. Now, this is what I want you to think about. You see how relevant Paul's concern is actually for us, don't you? Like, never before ever before have the people of God had such access to Christian preaching and teaching. Isn't that true? I think about us in London. We've got, there's so many preachers out there. And we've got all this access in Christian unions and all that sort of stuff. Think about what the internet has meant for Christian preaching and teaching. Do you see? We have to be so careful ever so careful about the content of what it is that we are uh, listening to. You see, fundamentally, I think every single one of us in here would probably agree with this. We have been raised, born and raised, in a style-over-substance society, haven't we? Style-over-substance society. So we've got to see the danger of us, because of that, being attracted to preachers Maybe because of their coolness or how slick they are or how attractive it all is. So, 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 so I say this to you and it saddens me a wee bit to say this. Um, but I'm guessing maybe 10 years from now, most of you won't be here. Um, you know, most, just with the nature of the congregation, most of the people will move on. And move to other parts of the world. So I do want to say, well, wherever you, wherever you end up, be very, very careful about who you listen to. Be very careful about what you listen to. And I would draw that into the room tonight and to your situation right now as a Christian. Today, this week, the next month, be very, very careful about who it is that you're listening to on the internet. Be very, very careful as Christians about who it is that, that, that you read. Always ignore, always ignore the style. And always carefully consider the content of what is being said. You see what's happening here. You see what Paul's doing. We're thinking about maturity. We're seeing that, wait a minute, a mature Christian isn't just somebody who's growing and all of those things. He's saying here, a a, a Christian, a mature Christian, is actually someone who is growing in Christ-centered spiritual discernment. That's his concern. And then lastly, thirdly, we've seen Paul's hopes for the Colossians. We've seen his concern. Let's think about his delight in the Colossian believers. Okay, if you look at it with me, in the last verse, verse 5, Paul says that though he has never been, never seen these people, he's never been to Colossae, never met them. Look what he says in verse 5. He says that he is with them in spirit. Do you see that? 
I see that. And I'll see it as a sort of, say it to a friend or whatever. If they're going through something and I can't be with them, I might give them a nudge and say, sorry, I can't be with you, but I'm with you in spirit. We say that, don't we? Now, with Paul, is it the same as us? Is it just a sort of throwaway comment that he's saying to the Colossians? You know, I'm with you in spirit. Is it just a throwaway comment? don't think so. Paul realizes that he is entirely united to Christ in his salvation, isn't he? And so he realizes that when the Colossians meet together in the presence of Christ, that in some senses, he is with them in spirit. Do you see how it's a beautiful thing? That because of our salvation, because of what Jesus Christ has done, We can actually say, our fellow believers, we are, because of Christ, we are with you in spirit. This is not a throwaway comment. But what Paul does go on to do here is to speak of his his joy and his delight in the Colossians. And he does this by using the army. He uses a couple of military metaphors as he ends all of this. Now, you know what it is. You'll have seen this in the news. You've got Prince William or Prince Harry. And you know how they always seem to be being shown around the army? Don't they? They always have. It seems to be a big part of their job that they inspect sort of rank and file people. You know, you'll have a, a toff showing Prince Harry around... Uh, an army regiment and Prince Harry and Prince William are sort of inspecting them and seeing how, how you know, seeing what they look like. Well, that's, that's the first picture that, that Paul paints here. You know, he's saying to these Colossians that because of the report that he's had about them from Epaphras, that he can sort of from afar, he is inspecting them and he is able to delight that like an army regiment, none of the Colossians have broken rank. None of the Colossians have moved away. That everything is, is, is perfect. Louis says, he says, I delight, I'm delighting in you. I'm delighting, he says, to see how orderly you are. And then there's the second picture, his source of delight. Look at what he says in verse 5. He is able to delight in the firmness of their faith. And that's a great, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because that means that despite all the slickness and the false teaching, despite all the argumentation, Paul's heard from Epaphras that these Colossian believers, they're staying true to the gospel. They haven't been strayed and notice to whom it is that they are clinging. Paul rejoices in the firmness of their faith in Christ. This is what I want you to see. This is what it all boils down to. If we want to mature as believers, if we want to grow in grace, it has to come in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. That spiritual advance, spiritual maturity only comes in him, through him, to him, for him. That if you want to, as a believer, 
grow in grace. What we must do is pray over and rejoice over what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary. Do we do that? We need to pray over, we need to rejoice in the forgiveness of Calvary, in the voluntariness of Calvary, in the mercy of Calvary, even in the suffering in Calvary. We have to, if we're going to grow in grace, we have to immerse ourselves, revel in, rejoice in the sheer victory of Calvary. What was the sermon title? Do you remember? Well, we will only be where we need to be as Christians if we do that. If we look to the cross, yes, we look to the cross. More than that, we look to the king of the cross. Why? Well, look what Paul says about this king in verse 3. He says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures, the wisdom and knowledge. We want, we want to mature. We want this wisdom. We want this knowledge. So we must look to this king. We must look to Jesus Christ. So we worship him. We lean on him. We, we look to him to build us up. Because if we do that, if we look to Jesus, joy is ours. Paul here is able to rejoice. More than that, you, if you look to Jesus Christ for a maturing of your faith, you are going to be able to delight, to rejoice. And what is absolutely marvelous is that not just Paul, not just us, if we look to Jesus for a maturing of our faith, our Heavenly Father will look at us and he will delight in us, his children. And We end, as we often do, thinking about those who are lost in their sin. So so hear this. I'm just going to close with this. Please hear it. Um, Paul here is delighting in the faith of these people in Jesus Christ. If Paul was here, if he knew your heart, Would Paul be able to rejoice in your faith in Jesus Christ? Would he? Because, you know, the world comes in and it's got all the slickness and there's all that attractiveness of the world and it it takes us away from the fundamental thing that one day all of this is going to go. Like one, one day everything else is going to go everything's going to be distilled down to one thing and you're going to be asked do you believe have you got have you got faith in, in, in Jesus Christ everything absolutely everything is going to come down to this and I, I hope that you think about that I want you desperately to think about that tonight as the service finishes as you go home maybe as you go into your bed Consider that. Consider, what does Paul say, that all the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. That all the glories of heaven, they are in Jesus Christ. All the mercy is in Jesus. Consider that all the forgiveness you need for your sin, all of it is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.